the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Whether you're listening from far away or next to beautiful Seneca Lake, we hope that through the reading and proclaiming of Scripture, you hear God's wisdom, challenge, and blessing for you today. If you're able to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9.30, we at Hector Presbyterian Church would love to share Christ's peace with you. As we prepare to hear scriptures, let us pray. Gracious God, our way in the wilderness, guide us by your word through these 40 days of Lent and minister to us with your Holy Spirit so that we may be reformed, restored, and renewed through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. A reading from the prophet Isaiah. Listen for God's word to you. It will be said, survey, survey, build a road, remove barriers from my people's road. The one who is high and lifted up, who lives forever, whose name is holy, says, I live on high in holiness and also with the crushed and the lowly, reviving the spirit of the lowly, reviving the heart of those who have been crushed. I won't always accuse, nor will I be enraged forever. It is my own doing that their spirit is exhausted. I gave them breath. I was enraged about their illegal prophets. I struck them. In rage, I withdrew from them. Yet they went on wandering wherever they wanted. I have seen their ways, but I will heal them. I will guide them and reward them with comfort. And for those who mourn, I will create reason for praise, utter prosperity to those far and near, and I will heal them, says the Lord. But the wicked are like the churning sea that can't keep still. They churn up from their waters muck and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading comes to us from the Gospel of John. Listen, the word is near to us on our lips and in our heart. After this, there was a festival, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate in the North City Wall, is a pool with the Aramaic name Bethsaida. It had five covered porches, and a crowd of people who were sick, blind, disabled, and paralyzed sat there. A certain man was there who had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, knowing that he had already been there a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I don't have anyone who can put me in the water when it is stirred up. 
when I'm trying to get to it, someone else has gotten in ahead of me. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Immediately, the man was well, and he picked up his mat and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. People said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath, you aren't allowed to carry your mat. He answered, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. They inquired, who is this man who said to you, pick it up and walk? The man who had been cured didn't know who it was because Jesus had slipped away from the crowd gathered there. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When Ashley McFall was growing up in Northern Ireland, she briefly lived in the city of Derry, that is, Londonderry, the setting of the British sitcom Derry Girls. At the age of 19, the segregation of her country blindsided her. Ashley had traveled from the water side of the city, which is predominantly Protestant, to the city side, which is predominantly Catholic. She went to get a haircut, to do some shopping. But once she crossed the river, she realized that every other person had what seemed to her to be a dirty mark on their forehead. She felt uncomfortable and confused without a clue about what she was seeing. Ashley stopped an older woman and asked her, what's going on? The woman sighed deeply and replied, I think you better get back to your side, love. On her return to the waterside, she was told that it was Ash Wednesday, a Catholic tradition. Now a Presbyterian minister in the United States, having embraced the symbolism of ashes placed on the forehead, a gesture to our mortality, Ashley writes, I weep for that day. What could have been a symbol of our common humanity was seen as divisive. I know that memory will stay with me forever and cause me to continue to repent of my own ignorance and strive to learn from my siblings from many traditions. On that festival day in Jerusalem, Jesus also crossed a boundary. Beyond the temple that he visited as often as he could, a natural spring formed a pool where shepherds led their sheep to drink. Writing a generation after Jesus, John remembered a northern wall around the holy city, a wall with a gate in it. But that wall was built a decade after Jesus' ministry, which meant that Jesus stepped beyond the city bounds to see where the sick, the blind, the disabled and the paralyzed were cast aside. Now, John's gospel is the only account of Jesus' life to mention the Savior crying. 
So I imagine when Jesus saw these poor folk impoverished by neglect, his eyes stung. I imagine that when he heard the story of an angel that supposedly descended every blue moon to stir the waters, ensuring healing for the first person lucky enough to enter the pool. When he heard this, he blinked back tears at the thought of all that desperate waiting. Perhaps his friend Lazarus from nearby Bethany was with him and pointed out the man to Jesus. That's old Zebulun. He's been ill for 38 years. Most of them spent here. Following Lazarus's gaze, Jesus saw a man whose body was twisted in agony, whose spirit ached in pain. 38 years. That was longer than Jesus had been alive. So yes, I believe that there were tears in Jesus' eyes when he asked, do you want to get well? There must have been. Otherwise, the question grates against my ears. How insensitive. Do you want to get well? How stupid. Or worse, how hurtful to taunt this man. No, only tears of compassion would make this question permissible on Jesus' lips. Now, perhaps the strangeness of the question is what prompted old Zebulun's non-answer. He responded to Jesus, but he did not say, yes, I would like to get well, or no, thank you, snake oil salesman. Instead, he offered excuses, like, I don't have anyone who can put me in the water. He complained, someone else always beats me to it. Excuses, complaints, not the answer to the question Jesus asked. But then when all your life, or at least four decades worth, is spent fixated on one solution, one way things have to work out, you could be forgiven for responding to the question you are constantly asking in your head. As the saying goes, to the hammer... Everything is a nail. What we think about determines what we see. What we focus on determines what we miss. The ordinary people of Jerusalem didn't expect anything to come from these chronically ill people lying around Bethsaida's pool. So they didn't see neighbors. As for Zebulun, This man, he was so focused on the cure-all solution that he couldn't see what was right in front of him. He missed what the Samaritan woman at the well had grasped just a day earlier, the Messiah, God's gift of living water, right there. It begs the question, what do we not see? Today, Ash Wednesday, we take a step back to get perspective, to get a sense of the bigger picture, 
And in doing so, we bump up against those ancient words from Genesis. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat bread until you return to the fertile land, since from it you were taken. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. Dust to dust, ashes to ashes, that's how the church begins its 40-day journey to Easter. With ashes on our forehead, we admit to mortality. With ashes on our forehead, we own up to impermanence. With ashes on our forehead, we get grounded in grimy, messy reality. A reality in which we and everyone we know come from the same soil. Our neighbors in Lodi have some practice in this kind of Lenten honesty. Last month, their leaders made the gut-wrenching decision to dissolve their congregation with the help of our larger church family. In the process of discerning this next faithful step on the journey of discipleship, they talked a lot about death and dying. Each person at the table had stories about the moment the family decided to discontinue mom's treatment, the moment they chose to disconnect life support, the moment they had to say goodbye to their loved ones. We named the wisdom these stories bear, but oh, we felt uncomfortable too. Because as American Christians, we have inherited a can-do kind of faith that pressures us to rally behind resurrection. Like the man beside the pool, this version of the Christian faith can only understand one solution. Be positive. Keep believing. Christ is risen. That version of the Christian faith stumbles over Jesus' own words. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it can only be a single seed. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. In six weeks and some change, we will tell that wondrous story of life coming out of death. That Easter story is important enough that we tell it every year. But we don't get to look inside the empty tomb until we pass through the Garden of Gethsemane, until we ascend Golgotha to stand at the foot of the cross. Lent gives us permission to tell the truth about loss, guilt, suffering, and death. Lent gives us permission to tell the truth. Ashes demand that we do. Ashes and oil, traced in the sign of the cross, tell us that God, high and lifted up, who lives forever, whose name is holy, abides with us, crushed and lowly folk, 
for those who mourn, says love divine, I will create reason for praise. Peace, peace to those near and far. Peace, as in reconciliation to the truth. Peace as in wholeness. Peace as in it is well with my soul. And so, people of God, do you want to get well? Do you want to be made whole? Then prepare yourself for a peace that defies expectations. You see, Jesus could have slung this man, Zebulun, across his back, carried him to the pool, called down an angel to stir the waters, and plunk, he could have dropped the invalid in the waters. That's the healing the man expected. That's the healing the man wanted. Instead, he heard, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Lent makes us face the fact that one day we will die. And then it has the audacity to challenge us to keep on living. Lent is a pick-up-your-mat kind of season. Christians often take on commitments, spiritual practices, that ground them in the cross-shaped love of God. This season, in this space, we will spend six weeks reflecting on the neighbors beyond our sanctuary, how to cross boundaries with Jesus in order to meet them and to love them. In receiving Christ's peace, I believe that we will find that peace goes hand in hand with the peace and wholeness of our neighbors. Friends, when Jesus calls you to rise up, follow him from your familiar place, beyond the pool, beyond the pews, walk alongside the Savior, for by grace he has breathed life into our common dust and made us family to one another and to each soil-blessed person that we meet. For such grace, let us give all glory and gratitude to God, from whom every family on earth takes its name, who has pitched a tent alongside us, who sends us to the ends of the earth. Amen. <laughs>